Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I'm at the beginning of my journey outside of academia through starting my own scientific editorial service. I'm Ian, and I'm in the process of leaving academia, aiming for a career in science communication or editing. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about one year ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Um, I'm Ian, and I'm here with Amanda and Clady. And after last week's episode about when we were talking about CVs and resumes, um, after we stopped recording, we were talking for about a half an hour more about the topic, and we realized that we had more to say. And so here we are to talk more about CVs and resumes, and especially Amanda had something to um, to talk about with with regard to this. So I'll let Amanda take it away from here. So I started with um, moderating last week's episode, or um, our last episode, because I was like, I don't have many strong opinions about this or feelings, so I'm I'll be good for moderating. And then afterwards, um, we were talking. And I have feelings about being a PhD in the job market. Like, one of the things that I think we don't realize, because we interact with a lot of other people of PhD, so everybody in our universe has a PhD, is what a small percentage of the population has one. Yes. And one of the things that a PhD teaches you, or at least I feel like the biggest skill that I got was that um, it taught me how to solve problems and how to think. So I often say that if you, I could learn anything if you leave me with the internet and maybe a couple of books, I could probably learn most anything in about, you know, a couple of months or a year or so. Like anything that is a challenge that I need to do, I feel like I can figure it out. Okay. Right. So, right. And I guess going on from that, like it brings up this question of why don't more PhDs, I mean, it could be just the company that we keep and we're a bunch amongst a bunch, a community of scholars who are all really smart people. And it makes us not feel that way, like feel that smart ourselves and like, you know, imposter syndrome. And even though we do learn things and like we can do them. Um, And then specifically when we go to like, get a job outside of academia, I feel like it partly comes back to having to learn a new language and a new skill set. And in some ways, I also feel like a lot of the language around resumes and CVs, like that you would submit to like a, an outside academic job, um, comes down to like, it has to be perfect. I think if it's not great, you know, you won't get the job. And I think that can quickly transfer to the person hearing that feeling like, oh, okay, I can make the document with no typos and flawlessly and have it well designed, but then the content isn't perfect and I have this deficiency and that deficiency and I can see the holes in, you know, the actual content of my professional life. So this is what you're saying is this kind of uh, having a PhD is a blessing and a curse. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, and we overthink things and like, I think this can be like, you know, analysis paralysis is a huge problem for PhDs, right? Like it's, you know, always need one more thing, more information. It's, 
yeah, because I mean that's the world we live in is where you know like we always need to always be conscious of that we might be wrong and we need to tear down our, our own ideas first. And that's you know like, and that can again quickly transfer to tearing yourself down first. Right. Yeah. But like one of the things that I think that um, you can always stress in an interview or in a cover letter is that while you don't speak you might not speak the language yet or you might have I mean I wouldn't put out point out holes in your CV but while you might have these deficiencies you can learn them and you know you can learn them quick because I mean that was basically your first couple of years of a PhD is hey we're going to drop you into this body of knowledge and now you have to learn the language, you have to learn how to do these experiments, right. and learn this whole new field. And that's something that we all have experience with. Yeah, and I think that's something that we also talked uh, after we recorded the previous episode was about the skills that we kind of like, oh, I don't have any skills outside academia. And then you you have all this time management skills. Right, and multitasking. And multitasking, yeah, exactly. That we don't really think that is a big deal uh, because, again... Uh, we are all PhDs and we are all among PhDs. But uh, then you, you, if you kind of interact with others, you might say like, oh, that's not something that everybody does and everybody knows how to do, right? Right. And I guess like in thinking about it too, I, I mean, it's not just you know, time management and prioritizing, it's the constant reprioritizing too, like that we, I mean, that I know that I think I have been guilty of. And I mean, maybe that's a good thing, like being able to sort of just subconsciously do that and like know what can be put off longer and what needs to be done right away. And well, learning how to manage uh, priorities and being able to juggle priorities on the fly is a very big skill outside of academia. I mean, it's a big skill inside of academia but it's a big skill outside of academia to be able to instantly say okay this came in from a customer so now I need to adjust because I need to get this done as long with these things and these are the most urgent tasks or the most important tasks that need to be done so this one can be pushed off safely be mm -hmm. pushed to the back burner for right now another one is ability to work under pressure yes because this is something that all academics do a lot. You know, you have deadlines, you have uh, classes, and you have tons of things that you need to do, and they have to be done now. And and then you need to just breathe and do it. Uh, and this is something that is very transferable for the non-academic right. world right. as well. Yeah, the number of job descriptions I've seen that, you know, ability to work well with tight deadlines has been surprisingly high. Right. And I guess, like, you know, this always, like, I always bring it back to, like, sort of current academic culture is also, like, like why don't more PhDs, you know, default to outside of academia where most of us end up um, anyway? Because, like, that's where, you know, like, that's the majority employer is of PhDs is, you know, not academia anymore. And like you make, again, but most PhDs who are in graduate school are like, oh yeah, academic, that's what I'm going to do. And like, they don't know anything else. They don't explore much else a lot of times. And like, maybe that's changing and I hope it is, but like, it seems like the culture is still very much like, 
oh no, academia, that's what I do, and that's all I can do. Because I also think the current culture of academia is pretty conservative and risk averse in a lot of ways. And like, you see this in like the grant applications and like the tight budgets and hyper competition. And like, you know, we go for the, what seems to be the more certain thing rather than the bold thing. And I feel like leaving academia is still considered the bold thing and stepping out into unknown waters, like, you know, whatever you want to call it, because I mean, that is what it feels like to me is like, well, I'm stepping out into the complete unknown. I'm stepping off a cliff. Yeah, but that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, the unknown and and the reason why everybody kind of uh, is in academia and just one all the PhDs kind of want to stay there is that because most of the PhDs, uh, the postdocs are academic post postdocs, so your uh, PI is an academic. You are doing your postdoc at a university so you're all in the academic environment i know that in, that there are some other types of postdocs but i'm not sure about what's the percentage like of industry postdocs or teaching postdocs uh like compared with the academic the normal I mean, there are a lot less common and like i feel I like the yeah yes that's my feeling as well that they are a lot less common so it's it's more of you i think that that's uh human nature as well you kind of feel comfortable in an environment that mm -hmm. you are you you know it so that's where you have been for the past 10 years 15 years of your life and you just feel comfortable being there and you feel very scared to jump outside and it makes total sense to me. Yeah. Amanda? So I was going to say that kind of plays into this whole um, thing I've heard recently about confirmation bias. So you were saying, like, this seems like the bold choice to do. But I think I read in a recent, like, I think it was a New York Times article, that something like 84% of um, PhDs end up outside of academia. So it's not really the bold uncharted step but the people that you're around now right. they academic they're all academics because you're around other postdocs you're around um pis or people in the administration that have phds like i mean in the university you can't you can't escape the academia the, right like i was gonna say like you can't like you can't swing a cat without hitting a phd but that's probably something that's an idiom related back to my hometown Right, exactly. And right, I mean, I think there's like, yeah, yeah, the cognitive biases are fascinating, like, because this is like, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff, like those kinds of things. And like, in case it's not clear, like, we are still sort of talking about CVs and resumes, we're just, we're talking more about like the psychology behind them, right? And like, what makes what are the barriers that are like, before you even put pen to paper, or you know, I guess, keys to keyboard, or configures to keyboard, um, before even like, pr making the document, like, they get in the way of PhDs really, you know, exploring. And, like, it is weird because, like, you do see a lot. I mean, I'm starting to see a lot more PhDs outside of academia because, like, I'm seeking them out. But it's also just very, you know, it's just not obvious to me that, like, a majority of PhDs are not in academia. Right? It just, it isn't. Right. Yeah, and I think that the, that's the the psychological, psychological part of the writing the resume it's very important because you need 
to think that you're worth and and you need to believe that you're worth uh, to be able to transfer that to the single piece of paper that is there. Right. And that's so hard for me. And I don't understand why that is. It's just something that I'm just so I struggle with so much. Well, I mean, I think part of it is the like, what have you done lately for me? Yes. Part of academia. Like it's always you do you finish that paper and then it's what's next. Right. Like, what have you done? Like, yes, you published this paper. But what have you done lately? Well, technically, you were done with that paper six months ago, and then it got published. <laughs> right. So it's like, who cares? Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, like, you have a lot of these things where, like, these important milestones or these important things that you do, as soon as you accomplish them, well, that wasn't that big of a deal anyhow. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like we were saying, like, there's a lot of things that you do as a PhD. Like, I was just thinking about how, um, like, we were talking before about multitasking and being able to reprioritize. The other thing is, is that you are self-directed. Yeah. Like you're highly motivated. And I mean, anybody who finishes a PhD has to be highly motivated by definition. And you have to be self-directed. So you have to be able to be thrown into the deep end and be able to figure out what you're going to do next. And I'm not sure it's a virtue, but like also patience or like delayed gratification. Like yeah, there's that aspect of it too. And we all would have won the marshmallow experiment. Yeah. So, I mean, this brings up something that like I, an entrepreneur that like I took a writing class, one of her writing classes, like she was, I don't know where she got this idea from, but I think she got it from somewhere. But anyway, like the thing is saying that, you know, like the thing that you do that you think nothing about, like that you just do automatically is something that a lot of other people struggle to do and you just don't know it. And it's like, oh yeah, this is actually your strength and you just don't realize it because it's so easy for you to do and you just do it almost automatically. Yes, exactly. And this is the point. You need to stop looking at your CV as those little, uh, each phrase of it, each paper, each abstract. You need to take a step back and look at your CV as your whole life, as a big thing. And then from this big thing, what are the skills that your PhD brought you? And you need to realize that you uh, have a differential over most of the population. And you might not think that is a big deal, uh, but you... But it is, you know, you do. You work very hard for that. And there are things that um, the PhD brings us that um, it doesn't bring to the others, you know? Right. And I guess this brings up another thing with, I guess, most academic work. Because it's also hard to see, like, I mean, you publish a paper or you get a grant funded. and But really, that's just an abstract idea, <laughs> like... There's not like a physical thing that you point to that's like, yep, that was me. Like I built that. I mean, yes, you did, but it's all in electrons and zeros and ones on a computer now. Or like sometimes you print it on dead trees, but like it's not like it's not like you're, you know, like building a plumbing system or building a table or you know what I mean? Like anything that's an actual craft where you get a result at the end that is an actual physical thing that exists in the world that you built with your own two hands. Like, even if you cooperated with somebody else, like, you know what I mean? There's not, like, a physical manifestation of your work, necessarily. And I think that's hard to, 
point to as a tangible thing sometimes and like it's like yep i'm sort of it, it's almost it's almost like a magic trick right it's almost like sorcery it's like i conjured this abstract thing into the world and it's now real <laughs> I, you know <laughs> uh, yeah. like, i mean it's like when uh, a friend of yeah a friend of mine came to the lab once to watch me um to meet me for lunch and so she was hanging out and she's not a science person and i was running a pcr and she's like so basically what you do is move small amounts of water from one container into another <laughs> container yep. all day long. And I was like, yeah. mm, yes. Uh, I mean, Adam Rubin, who does the um, the experimental errors column for science careers, like that's mm-hmm. exactly, he says that a lot in his column. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that, you know, like, yeah, you've been trained to like move water from like small, vo- I think he says small volumes of liquid from one <laughs> tube to another. But Maybe Ricky Ray. Yeah, it. exactly. And like, I mean, because it is sort of like, you don't think about how remarkable PCR is where you're like, yep, you're taking some clear things and mixing them together. And then you get a visible thing on a gel, like, you know, visible DNA on a gel. Like, let's be technical about it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why every picture of every scientist that you see around has someone pipetting something you know and then whenever they show on the movies usually they're also pipetting because uh yeah that's mostly what we do well in the life sciences that's most of what we do but yeah yes yeah but that's just the mean you know that's just that's you're missing the the big picture don't forget the big picture of the why you're doing that and what you what you had to learn, what you had to plan to get there, you know? Because you're not just pipetting right. water, you know that. There is a reason why you're doing that. And and that's, that requires, like, planning. That requires reading, understanding, and... Strategic design, that's a big thing. Yes, and being clever about... Yes, exactly. And, like... Yeah, exactly. And keeping an eye out for the new tools that can help you answer the question that you have. Yeah, exactly. And I think adaptability, flexibility. Right. right. In the science communication world, like it's really hard to convey this idea of just how hard scientists work to like just get this tiny little bit of new knowledge about how the world works. And like, you know, and again, like a priori, we don't know what's going to work out or not. Like, you know, like because the other thing that we have is um like I think I tweeted about this last week was, you know, the like another cognitive bias is the survivorship bias. <laughs> where like I mean, fine, I'll believe the like I sort of believe the data that you know PhDs are mostly employed people, but like Gary McDowell, who's at Biophysical Frog on Twitter, also had this column in Science Careers like, well, but a lot of them might be employed as adjuncts, and we don't really track this all that well. And you know, they may not all be in the careers that they really want anyway, and we just don't know. And so, like, some of what I wonder about is the survivorship bias, which is, you know, like, a lot of the people that that you see that are PhDs out in the world doing other careers are the successful ones. Like, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm out here. Look at me succeeding in life. And you don't see all these other ones who are just struggling to get by and, like, maybe just barely employed. And it's an adjunct professor and they have to, you know, schlep between classes, you know, six classes at two different universities. And like, you know, I do think about stuff like that sometimes too. And like, is that where, is that what my, all my CV counts for and my resume counts for? I think I, so I understand where you're getting at that, like with this whole idea that, well, you only see the people who have the good stories. Right. But I think that the majority of people 
have good stories and I don't think that well I think so I have kind of um, two sides of the coin so while I think that getting a PhD means that you have this distinction that sets you apart because you know this way of thinking and you've been trained in all these transferable skills but at the same time we're not that different from other people so there are going to there are people out there who don't like their jobs who aren't doing necessarily what they want to do with their degree but I don't think there's any reason to think that a PhD is like having a PhD makes you special in that regard like that'll exempt you from that particular fate no yeah exactly and I don't think that it does yeah at all but I don't think that you have um trying to figure out how to put it Maybe if you talk more, I'll be able to babble myself into coherence. I think that, uh, yes, we tend to listen to the uh, success stories. But uh, whenever I was thinking about leaving academia and I was talking to a lot of people on Twitter and reading things on the Internet, um, I guess that the, the pathway to get outside academia, it seems that it was very hard in the past Mm -hmm. and now it seems that it's getting easier uh but i don't i didn't hear anyone regretting saying like oh no i want to come back to academia almost all of them are like oh my god that was the best decision ever everybody everybody said that like nobody I talked to said that they regretted leaving academia like everybody I talked to was like this was the best decision I ever made in my life so I guess that whenever you get to the point that you want to leave academia and you leave then you are 100% sure of that and and then well even if you're not 100% sure of that it's uh the way to that you, you know that you are in the right direction. Right. Right, exactly. And, like, I mean, the thing is, like, I mean, I know a number of stories of, like, scientists who have gone to industry and then back to academia after a while. And, you know, it's, like, you know, it, the barrier is not as great as people think it might be. Like, you know, I mean, you have to, like, thread the needle a little bit maybe. But um, it's, you know, it's not like the door is completely slammed shut necessarily. Yeah, and, and what I was, sorry, what I was trying to get at a little bit earlier was that like you'll hear people like just because you might be you might leave the lab and go into an adjunct position or do into a position that maybe you're not like it's not your dream job one of the things that's different about outside of academia as opposed to inside is that your next job is not your last job right so like even if you even in this whole idea of you know survivorship bias like you might come across some people who aren't happy in their particular job like it's a lot easier to switch positions outside of academia yeah I, you don't know i think that's probably very true yes because like like i said like that yeah academia is very sticky and it's hard <laughs> to get out of i mean yeah because like i mean yeah and once you do like i feel like i feel like you know like it's everything i've done outside of i mean that's yeah, it's sort of outside of academia with all the writing projects and other things that I've done. It it is very um, organic and very fast moving and very like you know it's it's not like academia for sure. Yeah, I think that whenever you are in academia, you are inside your bubble, and to burst that bubble, it's tough. 
But once you do it and you start walking towards the sunshine, (laughs) (laughs) uh, then I believe that even if your next job is not your dream job and you're not 100% happy, uh, it's easier to go to something similar or you change directions once completely. So why not change again? You know, you just... You're more used to the challenge and to the differences in jobs. Well, that's what I think. Right. Right. And I mean, look. More context too. Yeah. Like you've. Yes. You've that is your definitely true. Yeah. Yeah, and that is amazing. The amount of people that you know whenever you start working outside academia, because then you start interacting with all other people that are not academics and they don't really they speak other language they are it's it's different and and it and you grow as a person i think that i after uh whenever i quit academia it was then that i realized how much in a bubble i used to live uh talking to different people and and okay does it helps that now it's uh election and (laughs) (laughs) so and usually the political views at the university are very very similar so uh now that i'm dealing with the other uh side um that i'm not saying that sometimes the the conversations can become a little bit heated but um i'm a person that i like diversity and i think that um if, I, if you respect what I say, I respect what you say, so your opinion. And, and, and then I grow as a person. And you can grow as a person as well. You know, I can teach you things and you can teach me that. And that's something that uh, I only realized after I left. And, and I'm, I think that that's very nice. You know, I like it. Right. So I think that's a good place to end uh, this, this episode because... Uh, we're approaching half an hour and i mean because what you know clady's talking about is like something that i think more academics would benefit from is like you know because like you hear about an educational educational circle like adopting a growth mindset rather than the fixed perfectionist mindset that again like a lot of academics have and like adopting the mindset that you can grow and change and learn new things over time like you know maybe you're not great at something but don't give up because guess what? You'll get better as you keep practicing. Yes, exactly. Um, And like, it's important. The important thing is to just get started and like put that CV and resume out there, even if, you know, your perfectionist side is telling you not to put it out there yet. Like, you know, obviously spell check and, you know, no typos, but apply anyway. (laughs) Like, I guess that's the end message. Like, because like, that's, yeah, because that's sort of a frustration I have with career coaches sometimes that just say like oh yeah your resume has to be perfect and like by implication you have to be perfect and like <laughs> if you know you're not well that's going to be a problem for you even applying yeah just apply and trust yourself you can do it yes right so and it's okay to figure it out as you go you don't have to have it all planned out right yes, now exactly and right so that's a good place to end and thank you for listening to another episode of the recovering academic podcast and we'll see you next time in a couple weeks all right see you next time bye-bye see you next time bye 
Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. You can find us on the web at recoveringacademic.net where you can contact us and subscribe to our newsletter. You can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower. <laughs>